0: around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Father, we glorify your name. Take our praise. Oh God, it is such just a small portion of what you are worthy of. All that we can give and so much more. God, I pray we would join the heavenly chorus today and ascribe to you the glory due your name. And so God, as we open up your word right now, I pray for such humble hearts to recognize you are on the throne and we are not on the throne of our lives. You are. What you say goes. You are our king. You are a creator, you are a sustainer, you are the one who is omnipotent and omniscient, who knows all things and is before all things and in all things. You know the end from the beginning. You are the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Father, we are not worthy to come into your presence, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Find us attentive to listen, Father, please, and to respond. To not respond in defensiveness of pride, but in humility to say, Lord, help me to love you more and desire you more this day and change me to be more like you. And so I pray we cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. And this would be a place of release right now, a place of salvation and redemption and rest and restoration and strengthening by the power of your Holy Spirit. Church, if you agree, in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23, I want to welcome back a number of our college and university students here today. So thankful for you, love you. It's great to see many of your faces again. Psalm 23, if you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, please put up your hand. Our ushers are coming by. We want to give you a Bible so you can follow along. Okay, Psalm chapter 23, and it's on page 261 in those Bibles that are being handed out. 261. Well, today... By God's grace, we finish our series that we've been going through the last six weeks on the heart of worship. Our summer series, the heart of worship, going through the Psalms, and it's really answering three key questions when it comes to worship. Number one is this what is true worship? Number two is this what is the heart that God desires from us in worship? if he is to receive that, and then from the overflow of our heart, what does living a life of true worship actually look like? Well, we started out with this definition, this biblical definition of worship at the beginning that we've been unpacking over the last six weeks. And so here it is. You'll see it on the screen. Let's get on the same page. Worship is the passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me. That overflows in my life and from my life. You notice there, there's a heart piece in my life and then from my life is the action. That's the lifestyle. We notice we have to understand, worship isn't just getting together on a Sunday morning, singing a few songs or cranking up the stereo in your car. Although that's pretty cool. Hey, hey, hey. I don't think I don't know you do that. You're head banging. But here's the thing. Cranking up the music on your stereo. No, 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 no. Worship goes way beyond that. That's part of it, but worship is a lifestyle, literally every part of our lives. Whether we eat or drink, we're doing it all to the glory of God. And so the expressions that we've seen unpacked throughout the Psalms so far is that a heart of worship has to start with a heart of dependence on God. A heart of dependence on God. And then moving from that we saw that a heart of worship is a heart of repentance before God. Turning away from the filth of my sin and turning in faith towards the beautiful and awesome character and image of Jesus Christ and his holiness increasing in my life. And then from repentance we saw that the heart of worship is a heart of satisfaction in God in God alone. And then from that, as our satisfaction in God increases, we see that a heart of worship is a heart of thankfulness to God. Because we're not seeking satisfaction in this world. And then today, all of these last five weeks, we've been leading up to this one right here that underlines them all, and that is a heart of worship, is a heart of faith in God. Now let's get some clarity because when you say a word like that, faith, it can conjure up a few things in people's minds as to what we're talking about. So let's get on the same page. Hebrews 11.1 is our biblical basis for this. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I love those words. Assurance and conviction. So if I can break this down into a street-level definition, it would be this. Faith is just quite simply this. You'll see it on the screen. Faith is choosing to believe God's word. See, there's the assurance that it's true, the conviction that it's true. Choosing to believe God's word and obey it in his power for his glory and my good. There's our definition. Choosing to believe God's word And obey it in his power, because we can't on our own, for his glory, and my good. There's faith. And you notice this? You notice what's not included in the definition of faith, either from Hebrews 11.1, or from our definition from that? Faith is not based on my feelings. Faith is a choice. A spirit-given choice. To stand on God's word and obey it in his power regardless of how I feel. It's not up to my wants. See, and why is this so important? We see all throughout scripture, God calling his people to faith. Why is this so important? Because a heart of faith fuels the heart of worship. A heart of faith in God fuels the heart of worship to God. Here, let's make it very clear for everyone. You and I cannot live a life of true worship to God without living with increasing faith in God. Spirit-given faith. You and I cannot live with a heart of worship to God if we are not living with increasing faith in God. Faith is a very big deal. You say, well, wait a second, that's a big statement. How do you know that? Well, let's get a sound theology of faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 puts it this way. If you keep reading in Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Ouch. That means all the worship that is, worship that is being offered, that is not offered in faith, from increasing faith in who God is and what he has done, is not pleasing to him. A life lived not in faith is a life that is not pleasing to God. So clear, two Corinthians five seven ex- exhorts us in this. It says we are called to what walk by. Say 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 walk by, and not by. What are we walking? Look at our past week. What are we walking more by? Faith or by sight? Sight fuels our fear. Sight fuels our anxiety. Sight fuels our worry. What does faith fuel? Conviction and assurance. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And if, and if that's not enough clarity for us today, Romans 14.23 sums it all up with an exclamation point that is so sobering. It says this, Whatever is not done of faith is sin. Worship offered to God not in faith is sin now I don't know about you but when I hear a command like that when I hear an exhortation like that I got to get on my face and say Lord give me faith help me to walk by faith and not by sight because I can't do it on my own I can't just muster up oh just live with more faith can't do it loved ones it's spirit given and God driven See, but there's a, the problem is this, you look around us, even in this room, you look at so many Christians today, we put our faith in so many other things than God. Would you agree? It's just so simple, there's the problem. When you got in your car this morning, I don't know, maybe, maybe it happened, but did you wonder if it was going to start before you turned the key or did you just turn and expect it to go? You put more faith in your car. How about our faith in the Lord this week? We put our faith in so many other things, but God, people, we put it in people. We put our faith in possessions. We put our faith in our agendas. We put our faith in getting our own way and knowing every answer to every situation we're going to face. We put our faith in our own timing. We put our faith in our status. We put our faith in our money. We put our faith in ourselves. Just insert the fill in the blank for you. And the result is we live lives in fear, not faith. Because all those things can be taken away and will be. We live our lives with anxiety, not assurance. Anyone go through anxiety this week? When you just crave for some assurance in that moment? We, we live trusting our own perceptions over God's promises. What we see in a situation instead of what God has said. And we live with hearts of worry and not hearts of worship. I'm preaching to myself right now, loved ones. I'm right there with you. And the result is our worship to God turns into worship of self and worship of other things. But here in our text today, we're going to answer the question... How do we live with a heart of faith in God that fuels a heart of worship to God? How do we live? We've got to ask. How do we live with a heart of faith in God increasingly that fuels a heart of worship to God? And we're going to see two postures of the heart that we must increasingly embrace by the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to live lives of true worship from faith that is anchored in God alone. Let's read verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 23, and to honor the authority of God's word. Let's stand as we read this together. Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd. Hey, you know what? Let's do something different today. Let's read this together. Let's go, church. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here from these first four verses is this. The heart of faith... Is a heart of worship that trusts in God for His direction. He will shepherd me. The heart of faith is a heart of worship that trusts in God for His direction. He will shepherd me. He starts out here. David says, He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let these words flood your heart today. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, true worship, what we see right here is this. True worship declares this. God will lead me for his glory. But the question is, will I follow him in faith? True worship declares, God will lead me for his glory. But the question I'm confronted with every day, moment by moment, is this. Will I follow him in faith? Now let's get some context. This should be no surprise. This is one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, by believers and non-believers alike. And this is a hymn of confidence David is writing here, a hymn of faith in the Lord that describes all the Lord that the Lord does for the one who trusts in him alone. And we don't know, we don't know the specific occasion that David was writing this in, but we do know that it is a testimony of David about the Lord's faithfulness to him in the past as he looks back across his life. Loved ones, we need to look back across our lives and see God's faithfulness, amen? Amen. We have to remember the works of the Lord. Scripture constantly exhorts us to go back. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Remember what God has done. Remember how he sustained you. Otherwise, we get so dogpiled, so overwhelmed in our circumstance that's facing us. Yeah, God, but what about this? Yeah, but what about God? What about our God? As we look back and see his faithfulness. And then it's a testimony of David's faith as he looks ahead. And his faith in the Lord as he anticipates how God will continue to care and provide for him. And so the emphasis here of this psalm is the worship of God for how he intimately... Know this intimately attends to and cares for his people intimately does that not blow your mind the transcendent God of the universe who is overall intimately desires to care for his people he knows us better than we know ourselves he's not just some God that's out there he intimately sees and knows who we are and what we're going through and he cares for his people in it. And so verse 1, we see the first thing that David declares is that the Lord is his shepherd. Circle the word my there. You know what that means? Intimate, personal. He's my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. He's mine He is my shepherd. He's my God. He's my guide. He's my companion. The word shepherd there, you'll see some pics on the screen to get our minds thinking about this. Shepherd means this, ruler of the flock. That's what the Hebrew means, ruler of the flock. Notice the word, a companion. A companion who governs with care and concern for his flock and all the needs they have. Put those pictures of the shepherd up. Here he is. Can you just picture this? I love this. We saw these a couple weeks ago. Let's see him again. There's the shepherd standing on guard, protecting his sheep, making sure they're in the pasture. They've got what they need. And then leading them, for his name's sake, to safety. Isn't Isn't that beautiful? There's the picture. The shepherd. He gives guidance. He gives provision. He gives protection. He... Shows care and concern. And then in verse 1b, he says, uh, Because of who God is as his shepherd and, and God's care for David, David declares that he shall not want. It's not, notice the word shall. That's a term of assurance. What's faith? Assurance. I shall not want. It's not, maybe I'll be in want one day. Maybe God will provide for this need for me. Maybe God's watching over me. Maybe he's going to protect me. He says, I shall not want. Done deal. Done deal in the provider, the shepherd, the protector. And I I love this, where it says not want. Let's get some clarity. What it means, what it doesn't mean is this. If I want stuff, God's going to give it to me that's just not good theology. I want more money. Well, it says I shall not want. So I'm going to get all the money I want. Eh. Well, I want I want I want the house. Eh. Well, I want the car and I want the well, the provision. And I want all this stuff. I want more clothes and I want Love one, can God give you a house? Yeah, he can. God give you more clothes? Yeah, he can. But what the text is speaking of here is this. I shall not lack anything I need. God knows what you want. But more importantly, God knows what you need. And so often God will withhold what we want so he can give us what we need. I shall not lack anything that I need. Anything that's needed. Physically, we'll get to that in a little bit. But... This picture here that David's starting out with is spiritually and emotionally. Let this sit on your heart and mind for a moment. Think about this. The deepest needs, every deepest need of David's heart is met by his shepherd. Every need of his heart is met by his shepherd. He shall not lack anything that he needs. And the result is, David can live in contentment, no matter what's happening, no matter the trial, no matter the suffering, no matter the sickness, no matter the discouragement. David can live with contentment because he knows his God is his shepherd, he is with him, and will provide all that is needed for him. In God's time, on God's terms... David's job, your job, my job by the power of the Holy Spirit is to follow. It's not to figure out where the next pasture's gonna be. That's the shepherd's job. It's not to figure out where the next provision's coming from. That's the shepherd's job. Your job, my job is to follow. Will I follow him in faith even when I can't see where he's leading? Even when it looks like a train wreck he's leading me into. When I'm going to be burnt out. When I'm going to be just overwhelmed. And stra- am, I, am I willing to follow him right there? God is watching over him. He can trust in God's direction. God's watching intimately. And he will never lack provision for him. Why? Because David is God's child. And the shepherd will always care for the sheep. The shepherd will always care for the sheep. Whether we see how or not, the shepherd will care. Now I just, let's illustrate this. Let's think about this. Live in the text a little bit, loved ones. Think what this means. Every desire for love Every desire for joy, every desire for peace, every desire for intimacy, every desire for protection, every desire for provision, security, guidance every desire, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every moment of every day met by the Lord. If we would but follow him. If David, if you, if me, would humble ourselves and trust in the Lord's direction and follow him in faith where he's leading. And it's not, listen, faith is not based on this. It's not based on seeing where God's leading. The sheep don't see the next field. They're just following. Look at that, I love that picture. They're just following the guy. They're just following the shepherd. You don't have to see where God's leading. It's not based on whether you agree with where he's leading. Well, I want this, and... I want it easier, so I'll just bow out of what you're calling me to do, and I just want—it's not based on whether you agree with it or not. That's not faith. It's not based on this. I've heard people time and time again say, "Well, if I just have peace, then it must be from God. I'll wait till I have peace to follow Him." Loved ones, God is the author of peace. He's the perfecter of peace. Yeah, absolutely. But I highly doubt Moses had peace. I don't know Gideon was feeling peace when God called him there. Let's not put peace on the idol of our heart in the place on the throne that God is only supposed to be. Sometimes there's fear when we follow him, but we follow the shepherd and we trust his direction. It's following him in faith on his word, on his promises and who God is, whether we're in the trial... It's so easy when things are going well, right? Oh, just follow God in faith. Yeah, come on. What about when the trial hits? What about when you're feeling overwhelmed? What about when you're you're just like so burdened and the tears are just rolling and you don't know what to do? You don't even know where to start to attack your situation. It's like, what about now? In the trial, what about this? When you're in the calmness, when things are going calm, The Lord will lead you when you're in the sickness, when you're in the health, when you're in the pain, when you're in the suffering, when you're in the unknown, when you're in the life changes, getting the house, making the life change, students coming back. Will you follow the shepherd now by faith? When you face major decisions, when you're walking through a season of weakness, do you truly believe that as you follow the shepherd, you will lack nothing? Do you? And why could David, why can we as God's children, if we've repented of our sin and confessed Christ as our Lord and Savior, why can we trust in following the shepherd? Because remember who the shepherd is. Notice he says in the start of 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Who's the Lord? The Hebrew word is Yahweh. Yahweh is this, The creator of all things. The unchanging one. Even when your circumstances and mine change and we start to feel panicked and it doesn't go the way we planned or we thought it would be, the Lord is unchanging. And it's let's get our eyes off our situation and get them onto the one who's Lord over it. Amen? The Lord is unchanging. He is the performer of every one of his 3,000 plus promises he's given us in his word. And he would not be in want ever as David follows him loved ones here's the truth God will lead you and I for his glory but will you follow him in faith trusting his promises over your perceptions Will you follow him in faith? And you may say this easy for you to say, Pastor Ray, easy for you, you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know my situation. You don't know the tears that I'm crying on my bed. You don't know how hard it is with the sickness. You don't know what my wife and I are going through right now. You don't. Easy for you to say, man. Why should I bother trusting in him when I'm crippled by anxiety or hurt or stress? You don't know the discouragement I'm going through. You don't know the confusion. You don't know how overwhelmed I feel. when I feel like everything's up to me right now. Why should I trust in the Lord? Here, go to the text. He gives us four reasons to follow him and trust in his direction. Number one, God's direction leads to rest with him. Rest in him. Look at this. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Hey, question, does anyone need to find their rest in the Lord here today? Following God's direction leads to rest in him. Notice there the term, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Hebrew means this, he causes one to be at rest. He causes you to be at rest. If you follow him, if you don't enter that, if you don't enter his rest, what? and then you're like, I don't feel God, I don't see him, are you following him? He will cause one to rest, be put in place. Where? Where does he cause us to be put in place? Look at the text. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Notice this: God's not leading you or I to some dried up, shriveled pasture. He's not, God does not lead his people to the desert, the dried up areas, the shriveled areas. Sure, may we, we may walk through it to get to the where he's leading us, but he's never, that's not the end location. He's leading us to green pasture. He's not leading us to the raging waters, but to the still ones. The places of peace is the picture, the places of refreshment, the places of contentment, the places of satisfaction. right here, a place I look like this. Wouldn't you just like to sit there and lie in that field? The peace, the presence of God, the shepherd. Rest in God. Not rest in your circumstance, rest in Him. That's true rest. You see, notice here, God looks at the situation. (laughs) Notice this, He makes me lie down. God looks at your situation, He looks at you. And in love, He says this, He makes us lie down. He makes us, circle that, makes me. He causes us. To lie down, and He gives us the rest we need because most of the time, let's be honest, you and I wouldn't do it ourselves. Go, 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 go. There's your society. Go, 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 go. Get more done. Count on yourself. He makes me lie down in green pasture because we wouldn't do it ourselves in the day to day, in the trial, in the fear or the discouragement, in the worry. God says this He goes, loved one, I'm going to lie you, (laughs) you're either going to lie down or I'm going to lie you down. You're either going to lie down or I'm going to lie you down. Because I love you, I'm not out to condemn you. But if you keep going like you're going, you're going to hurt yourself because you're not following me. And I'm trying to lead you to green pasture, to find your rest in me. Stop trying to force your way ahead. I will initiate what I want for you when your heart is ready to receive it. In the meantime, lie down and find your rest in me. So question, are you willing to be led? See, notice, notice what verse 23 implies he leads me beside still waters, it's implying that the person actually wants to be led. Are you willing to be led? Are you willing to humble yourself under the way of the Lord and let go of your knowledge of a situation, the perceptions of what you see? Am I? Because this implies those who are willing to be led will find their rest in him because he will always lead you to himself. But are we willing to be led, loved ones? And I get it, it's hard. Time and time again throughout the day we have these rocking devotional times and all of a sudden like five minutes later we start that fear again, that anxiety. Are we willing to be led right there and say, God, I trust your direction. I trust your clarity. I trust in you. Are you willing to be led and follow him into his rest? I love Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28 where Jesus says, come to me. This is there someone in this room today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. What does he say? I will give you rest. Will you come to him? Will you follow him? How do we come to him? Let's give three quick things right here. How we come to him. This is where everything starts. By abiding in his word. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no rest for your soul apart from me, Jesus says. There's nothing to be found anywhere in this world apart from me that will rest your soul. John 15, 5, abiding in his word, drawing near to him each day and say, God, I don't even feel like getting in your word today, but I'm trusting you because I know this is what my soul, what my heart needs. This is what my mind needs to be renewed in today. Otherwise, I'm just going on my flesh. That's not going to lead me anywhere good. Abiding in his word. Secondly, through prayer. Through prayer, I love Jeremiah 33. 3. It says, "Call to me," God says, and I will answer. You will seek me and find me," says in 29:13. "When you seek me with your whole heart, no more divided allegiance. Follow the shepherd. I'm all in. I'm putting everything in your basket, Lord. It's you or bust. Now you're ready to follow the shepherd. How about this? Through obedience, through obedience. We're in God's word, and so so often we say, well, why don't I feel God? Why am I just getting more and more stressed? Are you obeying what he says by the power of the Spirit? God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. That's beautiful gospel truth. He will see you through it if he's called you to it, but will you obey and follow the paths of righteousness we'll get to in a moment, right in the middle of your situation, And can I just encourage you, in those times, if you're here and you're feeling dogpiled and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling fearful and overwhelmed, hey, go back, go back. It's so important. Go back to what God promises to bless. You say, what do I do in this situation? Go back to what God promises to bless. What does God promise to bless? Abiding in Him, calling to Him, and following Him. There's the obedience piece. Go back when you're in that situation and that fear is crushing you. You say, what does God promise to bless in this situation right now? It's getting FaceTime with him big time. Go back in that situation. What does he promise to bless? That has been so helpful in my life. I wish I could just stay on that point. We're going to keep going. God's direction leads to rest in him. But notice this. B, in verse 3, it also leads to, following God's direction leads to restoration through him. Look at, look at verse uh, 3a. It says this, he restores, he restores my soul. The word restores there in the Hebrew means, notice this, he turns back. He turns back or returns my soul to a place of refreshment in Him. You see what happens right there as we start to rest in the Lord? We start to follow Him in His direction. As we rest in Him, He leads us. He leads us to a place of restoration in Him. See what happens? We start to rest in the Lord by abiding with Him, by spending time with Him in prayer, by following in obedience, and He leads us, He turns us back from our sin in repentance towards Him. There we are restored in our relationship with God. He leads us to a place of restoration him through exposing the sin. That's what the living and active word does. It's so beautiful. It exposes the sin that keeps us away from and leads us away from Him. This is why. Are you willing to follow Him though? Because we get to that point. Sin's pointed out in your life. Holy Spirit brings that conviction. You're like, nah, I don't want to follow that. You won't find your rest in the Lord. You're not going to find it. He turns us back in repentance to a restored and renewed relationship with him. Look at, look at what, restoration, peace, intimacy, cleansing. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, we, we are restored to joy in the Lord. See, sin will never take you and I to that place. Sin will never take you to the green pastures. It will always take us to the raging waters. It will always take us to the ones that are dried up and shriveled. That's where sin takes you. And your shepherd is like, "Will you trust me for your direction? I know sin overpromises, but it's going to underdeliver. I know the grass looks greener over there, don't take the bait. Follow the shepherd." You will find restoration. It's not going to be in your pornography. It's not going to be in following your own agenda. It's not going to be in another bottle of alcohol. It's not going to be in the sexual sin that you're in with your partner. It's not, you turn from that and start putting your trust in me, and I will lead you to restoration in me in the green pastures that your soul is crying out for. So question, what area, what areas of sin do, I, do you need to repent of, do I need to repent of to experience the soul restoration of the Lord? Right now, as the Holy Spirit says, right there, it's not rocket science. He wants to do it for you. Are you re- willing to repent right now in that chair? That you would turn back to the place of restoration and follow your shepherd to the green pasture. What is it for you? And you say, well, I'll get around to it maybe after church. Maybe I'll get around to it next week. Listen, delayed obedience is just disobedience, loved ones. You will not find your rest. I guarantee it. You will not find restoration. You will find a shriveled up, dead, raging torrent waiting for you. What is that for you? Cast it on him right now. He loves you and he cares for you and he sent his son to die for you to take it. Don't wait. Will you humble yourself? Isaiah 30, 15 says, in returning and rest, you will find your strength. God's direction leads to rest in him. It leads to restoration through him. And here's the third thing we see in verse 3. It leads to righteousness for him. Righteousness for him. Keep reading verse 3. He restores my soul. Look at this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name sake. See, David declares that as he rests in God and is restored to him through the repentance of sin. See how this flows? It's beautiful. As he's restored to God through the repentance of sin, God now leads and teaches him in the ways that God says are right. The paths of righteousness, the paths of obedience, because now your heart is prepared to follow. He leads him in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I love this. The picture here, notice here, look at the picture. Wagon tracks. I want you to think this. This is what the Hebrew is giving the picture of. These well-worn paths that God takes his people on over and over again. The paths that lead to him. The paths of righteousness that lead to a right course of action. This is why we have to go back to what God promises to bless. These aren't new things. We have to go back to what God promises to bless. And follow him along those wagon tracks. This is why Jeremiah 6.16. I love it. He says, he says. Stand and look at the crossroads. And ask where the ancient paths are. And walk in them. And what? You will find rest for your soul. There it is. Follow the wagon tracks. Not like. Well. God will never contradict his word, by the way. And so if you're like, well, I'm going to go follow my own path. That's not going to go well. Go back to what he promises to. Buy. Go back to what he said in his word. Follow the wagon tracks, and you will see his direction and glory. And how does he lead that? The unchanging ways of God always leading his people for his name's sake, for his reputation, that means, for his character, for his glory. Hey, can I just can I just free us up today? Your life is never meant to have you at the center or me. He leads us not so we can build our reputations, but for his name's sake. Because in in Old Testament times, in Jewish culture, a shepherd got a really bad name if he'd never led his sheep to safety. your life's not about you. Mine's not about me. Free yourself up by taking yourself out of the center of it. He will lead you for his name's sake. And when we follow him by faith in his power, his character, his image is increasingly seen in us and both we and others declare his praise as God ultimately leads us for his glory. Remember, a life of worship is a life of witness. Here it is again. Not for our name's sake, but for his. Because, because here's the truth. When we make ourselves the center of our lives, we will not follow the Lord because we will walk for our glory and not His. We won't follow him. So question, as you look at that picture, I want to ask you this question: Are you following the Lord along paths of righteousness, in obedience? Where do you need to turn back from him? Where are you going off the path that will not lead you to rest? In your home, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your workplace? Where Where are you off the track? Here's why it's important to stay on the track, because as we follow God's direction, we see in verse four, we are then under God's protection. When we follow God's direction, we are then under God's protection. God's direction leads to protection from him. Watch this, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Notice the words that David uses here. Notice it's not like this. If I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what? If you're not going through a trial right now, one's coming. Hey, a little spoiler alert for you. He says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not if I can get around it, not, you know, if maybe I end up going through it, you're going through it, and so am I. At some point, if not now. He says, this is going to happen, and I'm not going to try to go around it, but I'm going to go through it. I don't want to waste the trial. I want to follow my shepherd. In his work that he wants to do. And the valley, by the way, the picture of the valley, you'll see it on here. He's talking, the context is the Judean wilderness. See, these are the ravines of the wilderness that are there. And you see how they're all dark in the bottom? And when you follow those valleys, these were places for robbers and wild animals that would come and take you out. If you tried to walk in those, this is the context he's using here. And David says that even though he's going to go through, if God calls him to go through that, I'm going through that valley, he will not be fearful of evil. You know what the fearful means? Intimidated, anxious, or worried. I will not fear evil. I will not be intimidated. Why? Notice, notice the word for there, circle. And it means what's about to come is the reason why he's not going to be fearful. For you are with me, the presence of God with him. The presence of God, the presence of the shepherd goes with him. And when it says with him, it means it surrounds him. Isn't that awesome? The Hebrew, the presence of God surrounds his children. And he leads them and protects them and fights for them. And he will comfort him with his protection. Now you say, what's rod and staff? Here you go. Here's shepherd's rod and staff. Put it on. So you see the small one? That's the rod. That's what the shepherd used for protection, to beat up animals. The wild animals that would come to try to take out the flock. And then the staff is the guidance, the correction the shepherd would give. Notice the crook on the end. He would turn a sheep back to follow him. So he gives guidance to them. So he says, your rod and your staff will comfort me right in the middle of the darkness by his presence with him. Loved one, God will lead you for his glory right where you are. But the question is this. Will you trust in him for his direction and humble yourself and follow him in faith, even when you can't see where he's going? You can't see in that ravine. It's too dark. You have to trust the shepherd. You have to trust the shepherd that he is leading you for his glory along paths of righteousness. See, and the shortcut, here's the thing. If you try to take a shortcut in that valley, what's going to happen? You're going to end up going the long way around. Same with our faith. The shortcuts you and I try to take always are the longest ways around. And Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. And you say, Well, how do I follow God? How do I trust in his direction? By trusting in the shepherd who God sent to earth, his only son, as fully God and fully man, and lived a perfect life for 33 years. And went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And took all of God's wrath for that sin. And was buried in a tomb for three days. He was dead in a tomb for three days. And on the third day he rose conquering sin and death for all time. And for those who put their faith and trust in him alone as their savior. Turning from their sin, turning toward him. He says, I am the good shepherd and I laid my life down for you. Follow me. And that's available to you today. Without him, there's no comfort with the Savior. A heart of worship is a heart of faith that trusts in God's direction. He's my shepherd. And last point today is this. And with this, the heart of faith trusts in God for his affection. For his affection, he will provide for me. Look at verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies You anoint my head with oil And my cup overflows Surely Look at the assurance there The conviction Surely Goodness and mercy Shall follow me All the days of my life And I shall dwell In the house of the Lord Forever See True worship declares Right here God keeps his promises to me But the question We're confronted with Is this Will I believe him in faith That's what it all comes down To this whole message Will I believe him In faith Notice in verse 5 David declares that not only is the Lord a shepherd who provides every spiritual and emotional need that he has, but the Lord is also the one who provides every physical need. Look at this. He provides every physical need that he's going to have. The image here, you prepare a table for me, you know what it is? The image is a dining hall. And the Lord is the host, and he's setting up a private dinner table for his children. Now, here's why this is so important. He's meeting that Table, he's setting up unique to that person what they're gonna need right there. He's setting it up. Dietary restrictions and all. He's setting up the table for you. He goes, I know what you need. I know what you need. Here, let me put this on the table for you. I know what you need. And let me show you this because I, I know that house that you need. Here, just wait though. You follow me. I will lead you to the green pastures. I know, I'm setting the table for you. I'm setting the table. See, because here's why this is so important imagery. Because in the Jewish custom, the host of the dinner was obliged to protect the guest at all costs. Isn't that amazing? I love it. this. Is why we got to read the Bible in context. It's like he, the, it, the host had to protect that guest at all costs and ensure every need that they have was met intimately, personally, and uniquely. That's an awesome picture. And David declares that it is the Lord who sets the banquet table for him right in the presence of, right in the face of his enemies. Right going through that trial, the Lord's setting a table for you, meeting the needs. The question is will you pull up a chair? you Are going to pull up a chair to sit at the table your shepherd is setting for you right in the middle of that darkness, loved one? Or are you going to run, pull up a chair, or run? And he's no longer fearful in the trial. He's joyfully feasting in the trial. He's got his needs met by the Lord in the abundant provision and blessing of God that is overflowing. That's why he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's a picture of God's blessing right in the middle of that. He says, you anoint my head with oil. There's the blessing of God in what? My cup overflows. My portion that you're giving me overflows. Just fire you up, loved ones. Come on, somebody. Verse 6, verse 6. David finishes with a declaration of faith and assurance in God that says this. Notice his assurance again. Surely, that means indeed, God's steadfast love. That's his goodness and his mercy right there. The goodness and mercy, the kindness of God, the generosity of God, the gentleness of God, the favor of God, the devotion of God, the grace of God, and all of God's promises would follow him. The word follow there means pursue. Hey, 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 who's pursuing David now? His enemies or the Lord's steadfast love? Come on. Who's pursuing David now? He looks back, he goes, it's not my enemies pursuing me. He's like, that's God's steadfast love right there. God's compassion for me that's going to lead me. God's gentleness of me. God's power over me. God's presence surrounding me that's following me right now. Whom shall I fear? Amen? Yeah. Who's pursuing who now? Come on. Yeah. Love that. God's loyal, unbreakable love toward him would ensure that David would dwell, that means remain in the presence of the Lord, both now and into eternity, that is in the house of God forevermore. Why? Because here's the beautiful thing. You say, well, what if I screw up? I can't earn that. Yeah, you're right, you can't earn that. But here's the amazing thing about God's steadfast love because God's affection for David, God's affection for all who've repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, listen, it is not based on David's merit. It is based everything on God's mercy over him. He cannot earn that. It is not based on your merit. That God's steadfast love is pursuing you. It is based on God's mercy, which is loyal and unbreakable, and will make sure to lead you safely to home with him. Don't you let this world, don't you let the enemy, don't you let Satan or the darkness or your overwhelming, strip you of that hope, loved ones. You call on that every day. You remind yourself of that every day. That he who in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? No question. We will dwell with the house of the Lord. And because God's affection for David is not based on David's merit to earn it, but God's mercy to give it. Here's what he can say, Lamentations 3. It's been such a blessing to my heart this week. Verse 21 to 25. He'd say this, But this I call to mind, right in the middle of the trial, right in the middle of when I'm feeling overwhelmed, right in the middle of the sickness, the discouragement, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What? The steadfast love, the loyal love of the Lord never ceases. It never stops for me. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faith. You maybe woke up on the bed this morning, you're like, Where's the hope? His mercies are new for you if you're in Jesus Christ. His mercies are new. They're there. Will you follow him? The Lord is my portion. There's the cup. Says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. I'm not hoping in getting what I want. I'm hoping in the Lord through the valley. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. And I love, I love, love, love. I just can't, can't move. I can't move off this without reading Romans 8, 37. No, and all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor your screw-ups and mine nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen? Come on. Come on, loved one, are you trusting in God's steadfast love and affection towards you? Do you truly believe God loves you with an everlasting love that isn't based on you, but everything on him? True worship declares, God will keep his promises to me. Question, will you believe him in faith? Where do you need to put your faith and trust in him today? Turn from other things that are leading you to dead fields and raging streams and put it ultimately in the one who can deliver you for wisdom. Maybe it's that strength you need. Maybe it's that physical provision you need, clarity you need, whatever it is. Are you turning to him? And if you're here as we close out, worship team, we'll get you to come up. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your first step to trusting in God's affection for you is to remember the truth that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. That if you would but turn, repent of your sin and believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Because while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And believers, a heart of worship is a heart of faith. Where do you need to turn to God for his direction? And where do you need to start trusting in him for his affection towards you? That he will provide for you all you need for life and godliness that is yours in Christ Jesus he's waiting but will you follow him let's pray Jesus Christ what awesome truth i i don't i don't know what more to say other than help us to trust you to trust that you are the good shepherd who laid his life down to trust in your direction and to trust in your love for us, even when we don't feel like we deserve it. Your steadfast love is new. Mercy, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Unchanging love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And God, as we sing these last two songs, I pray this place would just erupt in a spirit of rest and renewal and restoration and adoration because of the beautiful hope that we have in you and we would say as for me in my house we're going to serve the Lord and I've decided to follow Jesus my shepherd there's no turning back I'm going on the ancient paths I'm not straying oh praise the name of the Lord our God will you stand with us to say